Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. The transfer window is open, Shinny's back, Moult's away and Portis is creating a bit of a headache for Hibs. And is Angus gone really in line to replace Craig Gordon between the sticks for the Euro 2024 qualifiers? Yes, a warm welcome to the Scottish Football Show. I'm West Ham's video producer, Laura Brannan, and I'm back after my Christmas break. I got to go home and get to a couple of games as well. Oh, how I have missed the Baltic cold air of Scottish football. In much warmer climate, joining me today, all the way from Melbourne, Australia, it's football filmmaker and editor, Finlay Marks. Finn, that felt a wee bit like I was announcing you on Blind Date there. <laughs> well, what a show that was. You need to perfect your... Uh... Silla Black with a Pudlian accent though Oh, I actually loved that show when I was about five years old It was a belter back in the day Saturday night ITV TVs were sensational Because I think you had Baywatch, Gladiators, Family Fortunes and Blind Date uh, Maybe not quite in that order But I'll, like, what a run that is that, that, that's Family Fortunes is still a classic oh, oh, I fantastic. love it, absolutely yeah. love it <laughs> Like someone's a wee bit closer to home um, And in the freezing temperatures it's Sky Sports' Andrew Dixon. Welcome back. Hello. Are we going down the rabbit hole already with ITV shows of yesteryear? Because I could talk about <laughs> it quite a long time. I went to Gladiator, see, when I was about 12. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah down in the, was it the National Indoor Arena in Birmingham. My dad's cousin was a producer on Gladiators. No. And she sorted us all. And I was in the Boys Brigade, so it was like, she sorted <laughs> out our whole Boys Brigade company with Whoa. tickets for Gladiators. So it was like a coach went down from Glasgow. If you're really keen on Gladiators and you remember Eunice Huttard, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bit of a legendary contestant. So she was on. It was like her show. Uh, I think it was like the first one or something that she was in. So, uh, yeah, that was Gladiators. And, uh, of course, Blind Date, you're talking about that. As well as Scylla, you've got to remember our Graham with his quick reminders. Our Graham. <laughs> as well, because he was, he was some boy. <laughs> I'd, ima- I'd imagine he's seen a lot of things God, we should tell him I'd just have a special episode of looking back on TV shows It doesn't matter about Scottish football, no one wants to listen to that <laughs> can, you, can you do an hour Graham impression? Because I can remember him doing his voiceover uh, at the start of the show It's like, it's blind date <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think I can get any better than that <laughs> Yeah, that's, this is not how I expected tonight's episode to go But I'm, kind of, I'm all here for it <laughs> Like Finn, thanks for holding the fort for a few weeks. Um, but I must say, it is good to be back. It's nice to have you back. So let's get right into it. What have you guys seen that's been happening this week? What funny stories, first and foremost, has been happening across Scotland? I don't think there's any other place to start apart from Jonathan Sutherland's massive gaffe during BBC Scotland's coverage of the Wraith Rovers v Dundee game. Like, surely everybody's seen this. But it was 1-0 to Wraith Rovers at half-time. And then he starts his half-time patter by, I, I didn't quite get it, basically saying, oh, well, we knew when we booked James McFadden, it would probably be nil-nil, and it's nil-nil at half time to which James McFadden waits for him to finish this, like, 15-second intro, and then just goes, it's one-nil, <laughs> which is just fantastic peak Scottish football. I loved it, but at the same time, I feel so sorry for him. <laughs> He'll never get over that. I, I, I've, I've messed up before live on air and uh, swore on the... Uh, live tv before and could you yeah could you could you just tell us a little bit about that laura because that's one of my favorite things i've ever seen in scottish football 
Yeah, it was back in my days when I was um, doing reporting on matches and it was, you know, you get on Sky Sports when you get like goal updates and halftime reports and stuff. And I was given the full-time report and I mentioned that Dundee had kept a clean sheet. Only I didn't see clean sheets. <laughs> Paul Hartley on the other side, well, he felt it was very much a game of two halves and Dundee were better in the second half. He says that was very much understandable considering Kamarnik's new manager and the situation they're in just now. But he felt as though that his side just really didn't have a cutting edge in the final third. He did stress the importance, however, of having a clean sheet and how well the defensive the, the defence in general has done recently and he says a lot of that is down to Darren O'Dea so a lot of praise for the Irish defender there Absolutely, uh, thanks to Laura there um, it's good to have Darren O'Dea at the back line, Ruffy keeping a clean sheet um, <laughs> for Dundee uh, uh, If you can skating a fine line I have to yeah, tell yeah. you yeah. <laughs> you can come out of most games with a clean sheet then, uh, <laughs> it's always something you <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good sign. <laughs> that was about seven, eight years ago now, and I have never lived it down since. Even if it's just within my little circle of friends. <laughs> Finn, you'll know this from when we worked at Copa 90 together. On my last day, they posted the video on the big screens for everyone to watch as part of my leaving speech. I didn't even get a say in that. It was just rolled into one. I'm never <laughs> going to get away from this. So I, I do really feel sorry for Johnny. <laughs> At least you didn't forget your words in front of 50,000 people like I did in, uh, well, I think it was that 2013, I think it was. I was working at Rangers at the time and they had just won the third division and it was being broadcast, I think it was against Berwick Rangers, uh, the final game of the season. They were getting the trophy and all the rest of it broadcast live in Sky Sports so at the end of the game I had been asked as part of the Rangers media team to interview Alan McCoyster on the pitch Yeah, and started off by saying Ali, two things, first of all how good does it feel to have, have finished the season and second of all and my mind went completely blank <laughs> I've watched it back and it was about four and a half seconds, something like that no. of just total <laughs> silence uh, because I had no idea what to say and I didn't want to go uh, 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 uh and like sound like I'd lost it so I, I think I think I tried to pass it off as the microphone has stopped working and uh, and Ali to be fair to him just jumped in and said oh well you know it's brilliant it's really really good and kind of did his best I think he realised what had happened did his best to, to bail me out and I think I'm sure it's online I think it's on YouTube and I think if you watch it back I do remember a couple of questions later what I was going to ask but yeah you just want the ground to swallow you up yeah. uh, with Jonathan what I thought was really funny was Obviously the the mistake itself, but then the kind of really weird laugh that he broke into after. He was obviously embarrassed by what had happened, so he kind of just went ah! <laughs> for ages, and it sounded like I don't know if you've seen the clips of Alexis McAllister that Brighton have put out, where yeah. he just sits in interviews and just goes hey 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 ha 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 hey hey, and it's a bit like watching Beavis and Butthead clips. Like it was this kind of laugh that sort of compensated for the mistake almost. Yeah, yeah. like listen, I had quite a bit of sympathy for him. A great laugh for all of us, and I, I hope he can see the funny side of it now as well. Because it was to be fair, to amazing. be fair, he did he did post on his Instagram story laughing at himself, so he's taking it in good heart. It was it was was a total ready though but the, I, I think the other good thing was though from that game it wasn't the only amazing thing that happened in that game because I don't know if you saw Gary Boyer's post-match interview but he literally referred to his Dundee side saying we were poo against Wraith Rovers after that game which <laughs> is just I don't think I've ever heard a manager refer to his team as we were poo yeah I mean I just went for the clean shite I didn't 
no beat, no beat around the bush. <laughs> At least he's keeping it PG. Yeah, I mean, if, if Gary Boyer's saying that, I mean, that's even something that I've not heard Lee Johnson say before. So yeah. if he's out <laughs> Lee Johnsoning Lee Johnson, then he's uh, he's fairly going some. <laughs> Oh, All right, and um, more serious news. Let's let's get to the kind of hard hitting stuff that what's been catching the headlines this week. In fact, I'm going to start off. Did anyone watch the FA Cup at the weekend? Like, okay, right. I know it's a Scottish football podcast, so bear with me here. Did anyone watch the Aston Villa game at the weekend? Because lead to Stevenage, we're losing with five minutes to go. Villa got a man sent off, and with that one man advantage, Stevenage went up. Managed to equalise on 88 minutes thanks to a penalty which was won by Aberdeen's Dean Campbell. So obviously he's down there on loan this season, just 21 years old. But it wasn't just that. He then went on and scored the winning goal in the 91st minute. Like, what a dream cup story this is. This is like Hollywood stuff. Uh, it's, it's properly getting me excited now for the Scottish Cup fourth round because... This is just what you live for for Cup weekends, isn't it? It was a great weekend, actually, in, in terms of the FA Cup. Obviously, like you say, it's a Scottish football podcast list. But, I mean, Josh Windass, another SPFL former player, almost had a hat-trick, actually, for Sheffield Wednesday against Newcastle. Scored a couple and hit a bar with... Eh, hit the bar with, like, a 35-yard free kick, I think it was. But, yeah, I mean, for, for Dean Campbell, I, I did watch the kind of closing stages of that game because I was, I was working on it at the time. And, like, an incredible turnaround. And there were quite a few surprising results so, you know, I mean, hopefully when we get to the fourth round of the Scottish Cup, we can see a similar kind of return because, I mean, I think it's fair to say that in, in the last few years, shocks have been kind of less rather than more in Scottish football. They do seem to happen a bit more down in England. I don't know if that's because some of the kind of the bigger clubs maybe don't take the competition as seriously. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we do see some shocks up here in Scotland because it would be fantastic. And it's, it's what the Cup's all about. I think it's because with any kind of like, FA type cup I'm saying that meaning the, the Scottish cup the FA cup or even something like one of my other favourites is the Coupe de France in France obviously but but they include any football team that is is connected to the French Federation so it could be from I think there's like teams from like Guadeloupe and other French territories all around the world and some teams have got um, you know like 6,000 mile round trips to play early rounds in the Coupe de France it's something insane like 8,000 teams enter it at the start of every season or whatever and obviously they've got to whittle it down to two in the final but I think it's because in an era of, of football where it's so hyper commercialised and the gap between the top and the bottom of the game has never been more stark or, or greater that it's a chasm cup competitions offer that type of romance that I think is the thing that draws us all in as kids or whenever we get into football like it is the magic of the cup such a cliche but it's you know David versus Goliath stories and the chance that you know 99 times out of 100 the bigger team will win but it's it we're living for that one time in 100 where the smaller team will have their day in the sun and, and something amazing will happen like the Stevenage story which is fantastic so yeah I, I just I was thinking the exact same thing as you Laura like watching some of the results come in I think you've got a point Andrew about you know, maybe the FA Cup doesn't quite have the same import that it used to. But I think when they do happen in Scotland, it just got me so excited for for that stage of the competition. Because I, I think it's the best bit of any of the cup competitions in Scotland is the fourth round. 
when you know when the bigger teams are dropping in and you've got like some teams on amazing cup runs already i just i absolutely love that it's one of my favorite weekends in scottish football oh yeah it's, it's the best weekend of the season easily <laughs> and uh hopefully there'll be some good crowds as well across the board when it comes next weekend sliding straight into the next story it's good news for attendances across the country. SPFL Watch tweeted a really interesting table the other day and it was shown that there's an, on average, 17,000 fans going to Premiership games, which is the highest since the league was changed. Wow. The last time such a high number, such a high average number, was way back in 1999-2000. And obviously that was way back when there was only 10 teams in the league. So, I mean, it's really growing. And, like, we're just bloody awesome, aren't we? <laughs> I think it's especially incredible when you consider what's going on, not just nationally, but globally over the last two years. Obviously, we've had the pandemic and everything, but the fallout from that and the current cost of living crisis for Scottish fans to increase their attendances through all of that, I think is just astonishing. I mean, we've seen in times in the past, I think per capita, Scotland is still, if not the best, one of the best supported leagues on the entire planet in terms of the the size of of its population that attends football matches regularly. So it is, it's astonishing. It's absolutely amazing and heartening to see that that's growing rather than diminishing because I think that was an issue or, or a cause for concern in, in years gone by. So yeah, it's fantastic to see. I was going to make the same point as, as Finn there about kind of proportionally and per head of population, Scottish football has for quite a long time been up at the top end. So the fact that the figures are good is maybe not massively surprising but obviously the fact that the figures are growing is really really good and I think it's important to highlight it because I think as a nation and as a community of people we're all quite good at focusing on the negatives and this is a real positive for Scottish football yeah the product isn't always absolutely brilliant and there's clearly room for improvement at times but this is is one thing that I think we can really kind of focus on try to build on I saw a tweet about uh, we've talked about it before in, in recent weeks about St Mirren's attendances and the fact yeah. that, that they are very much on there obviously St Mirren are having a good season but St Mirren's top three attendances this season haven't been against the old firm it's been yeah. against like, Aberdeen and against Hearts and what have you so home fans are clearly turning out and, and those seats that haven't been sold to the away fans are being filled they're not just sitting there empty clearly attendances across the board are are, are good uh, how long may that continue? In sadder news, it was a shame to hear about Gianluca Vialli's death last week. He cried when Italy won Euro 2020. So did we, Gianluca. So did we. It was really sad to yeah, pass away. I mean, obviously, pancreatic cancer, I think it was, wasn't it? He was diagnosed in 2017 and appeared to have beaten it and then came back again just over a year ago. So uh, really sad. Obviously, a kind of slight Scottish football connection in that he wasn't a million miles away from joining Rangers back in the day. Yeah. I mean, Gianluca Vialli was an incredible footballer for Juventus and Chelsea. I cannot even begin to imagine what he would have been like playing Scottish football. Um, <laughs> just watching the goals that he did score in the last few days. I mean, there's like Champions League final goals and stuff like that. I mean, it's some brilliant, brilliant finishing. It would have been frightening to watch him play in Scottish football. There's a couple of things about Jan Lukavialli. First of all, phenomenal haircut. It's just a classic haircut, you know, <laughs> a big fan of that. Makes him more aerodynamic as well, you know. So the guy, the guy obviously was a consummate <laughs> pro. He was one of those players that it would seem to be if you were growing up 
during the 90s watching football, which means you're a person that rather tragically will probably refer to as a football da now, <laughs> if you've grown up in that period. But the thing was he, was, he was one of those players that kind of everybody knew, even if you didn't really follow Italian football, because you always saw his goals. I had the, in fact, I've still got a, an old VHS called Golazzo, and it's like all the best goals. I think it's from season 90, or between 94 and 96 or something in Serie A. And basically every second goal is an overhead kick by Gianluca Vialli or some sort of weird volley or whatever. He was just astonishingly athletic when, when he played and some of the goals he had were incredible. But it was, yeah, as you say, I think my, my, one of my lasting memories of him in recent seasons will be on the bench as part of the Italian uh, coaching staff during the Euros and seeing him crying with joy which kind of mirrored our own tears of, of relief, I think, <laughs> in the summer of 2021 is is a beautiful shared moment between Scottish football fans and, and Italian football fans. So yeah, it's, he, he was an amazing player, sadly, sadly gone too soon. So yeah, very sad to see him, see him pass away. Right. Have you seen this Angus Gunn nonsense? Uh... Sorry. Okay. And I'll focus on the facts first. Okay. Let's just uh, play it straight. Norwich City goalkeeper and 28 time England capped Angus Gunn <laughs> is reportedly considering switching allegiances now that Craig Gordon is out injured Andrew do we need him first and foremost I mean the thing is with Angus Gunn I don't have an issue at all with trying to cast the net far and wide because we're a small country and we have to work the system as best as we can because you know you look at the World Cup and you look at countries like Croatia doing so well again the population they have, they've obviously hit upon a winning formula that we haven't. So if we can find ways and, and means to exploit loopholes and, and get the best players possible playing for Scotland, I don't have an issue with that at all. What I find a little bit bizarre is, as you say, he's won 28 caps at various levels for England. So Angus Gunn has decided he's English. Yeah. Similarly, Jason Cummings, to me, had decided he was Scottish. But then as soon as he got the chance <laughs> to play in the World Cup, he was Australian. You yeah. know? Funny that. Uh, and, and if there's one more non-Australian person around than Jason Cummings, I've, I've yet to meet them. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Angus Gunn has decided himself that he's English. He's played in English football for his whole, whole career. Man City, Norwich, Southampton, Stoke. He is English through and through. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you then decide that you, you might want to be Scottish, it, it, it's, it's a bit bizarre. To answer your question, do we need him? You know, possibly, but should he be given the opportunity? I'm not sure he should. He, he's turned us down before, hasn't he, Finn? He has, yeah. I'd, uh, apparently, he was approached by Alex McLeish when he was the Scotland manager, if he was interested in, in doing a U-turn, and quite categorically at that point said, no, I really think I've got a chance of making it to the to the England national team, and that's what I want to do. So... I, th I do think you need to kind of look at each case by itself because it, it's a much murkier place, I think, now, given that the world is a much more multicultural place and it will increasingly get so. And I think you can have people that feel just as passionately for one side of their, their national heritage as they can for another. If, if they're dual national, I don't think there's anything wrong with growing up thinking, oh, I'm going to play for this youth team, but if I get the chance to play for this other country, oh, I would take that too because you, you can feel both of those. And I, I know as well, you're the kind of person, Laura, that would ideally wish 
people to declare their nationality seconds after they've come out of the womb. <laughs> like you, you'd prefer people to to declare an intent of which country. To they, be they fair, do. I have always said <laughs> they should declare it when they sign their first professional contract. Okay, that's what I want to draw the line at. I think I would kind of disagree with you potentially, just from the point of view of knowing how much of an idiot I was at, at sixteen when most people would sign a professional contract and comparing that to even like five or six years later early 20s like you're, yeah, like you're still a child quite, at 16 yes but in football terms in football playing terms five years on from the age of 16 is actually like an established footballer it's not like a normal lifespan it's not no, like I, normal time I agree with you but I, I I think it's just trying to be fair to the way that people would grow up as 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 adults into adults uh, across that time and, and, and your your worldview can change hopefully it would change between 16 and 21 but having said all that, no, I categorically don't want to see Angus Gunn representing Scotland because it's, as you say, he's got, he, he's had 28, I wouldn't call them caps. I don't think you can get a cap until you're at senior level, but he's got 28 appearances for various England youth teams. He's been approached once already about the possibility of changing his allegiance and, and he very much didn't want to. So I don't, I don't want now for us to seem so weak to the point of being like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to come and play for the Scotland team? Be like, nah. If you've if you've not done it by this point, when you've been given the chance, well, that's the thing. I, th- I think if yeah. you've done it in 2018, maybe I think I would have been much more open to it. Because the thing is, as well, taking all of that aside, as a goalkeeper, I think Angus Gunn is, is a really decent goalkeeper. I, I've seen him a number of times playing for Norwich and and for other teams uh, in the in the English leagues, and I think he's a really good goalkeeper. Like his dad was, Brian Gunn was a terrific goalkeeper. But you also get, you can't force people to feel a certain way in terms of their nationality. Yeah. And I think he clearly doesn't have that same passion and fire for Scotland that other people who have had Scottish parents or whatever and moved away have had growing up. So you look back to the early 90s or, or sorry, late 80s and you had players like Stuart McCall or Andy Gorham who were brought up in, in Yorkshire to Scottish parents who were raised fervently as Scotland supporters. Like, there was never any question, despite them being born in England, that they would play for any other team other than Scotland if they got to be professional football players. And I think that's kind of what you'd hope for. That's that's dream scenario. Not every player's going to be like that, but I think the Angus Gunn one is too far off the other end of the scale for me. Yeah, it's that point for me. I kind of think back to when I worked with Jackson Irvin when he was a youth player at Celtic. Yeah. He got called up to the Scotland under-17 squad and he played a couple of games at a tournament. It was like a week-long tournament. I think he played once or twice. Yeah. And I was kind of challenging him on, but you're Australian. And he was like, yeah, but you know, my dad, I've got connections and everything. And then he came back after the tournament and he said to me, I'm going to call the SFA because I feel Australian and I don't want to pretend Yes, I can get caps doing it this way, but I don't feel the connection that I should feel when I pull on a Scotland top because, yes, I'm Australian. Yeah. And I thought, that's so admirable to hear. And to be fair, okay, Jackson Irvin's one of the most mature footballers I've ever met in my life. So maybe not, as you're saying, Finn, maybe not everyone is that headstrong at 16, 17 years old. Yeah. But, I mean, Angus Gunn has pulled on the top 28 times. And if you've not realised... <laughs> between the 1st and the 28th time that it doesn't feel right, then let's not push him too hard. He clearly doesn't feel so stage. And I just can also feel like it's a wee bit blinkered. We're not short on goalkeepers. The problem for me is we've not tested enough young goalkeepers. Yeah. The problem for me is Steve Clark has never given anyone the chance to prove themselves 
and create that pathway for themselves to replace the likes of Craig Gordon or David Marshall when they retired. You look back to the Turkey game in November, it absolutely blows my mind that Liam Kelly was sitting on that bench and didn't even get 45, 30 minutes towards the end of that game. It, we don't get a lot of friendlies anymore in international football and that was a chance. That was, a, that was essentially a meaningless game and he didn't get a single minute. And the amount of times he's been in Scotland squads and not been given any chance to prove himself. And we all kind of have joked about it, saying, all right, okay, but what happens when Craig Gordon gets injured and you have to throw him in for the first, you know, a, a big qualifying match? And that looks like it's literally about to happen now when we play our first qualifier against Cyprus in March. We're going to have to go with an untested keeper. That's Steve Clark's fault. That's not Craig Gordon's fault. And that's not like so Liam Kelly's and um, Xander Clark's fault. That is all on the manager for not testing them. Uh, it's a hundred percent. I I made that point. I remember when we were previewing the Turkey A game. It's probably the biggest thing that irks me about Steve Clark, and I've I've made mention of it actually for a number of years across across the podcast. I know why he tries to do the whole let's build a club mentality and let's try and keep as settled a team as possible. And kind of once you get into a Steve Clark Scotland side, you have to do something pretty drastically poor or, you know, get injured for ages to not make the next one because he he wants to keep that that settled mentality. But that's also not how international football works. Like you, you, form is such a transient thing in football, it can change so quickly. And when you've got literally months between games, you have to have a much more fluid approach, I think. Like, I get the, having the core of a settled team there. But it's even like, you know, when we've got a double header and say, for argument's sake, you've got a slightly more difficult game against, like, I don't know, Slovakia or a Czech Republic. It's a bit trickier. But then your second game might be against the likes of, again, for argument's sake, San Marino or Cyprus, who, who are definitely better than San Marino. But, you know, like that level of opposition. Those are the things where I, I don't understand why you don't use your squad in those kind of things, not just for outfield players. So, like, by all means, if you've got Craig Gordon fit and firing, definitely use him in goal against Czech Republic or against a team that have got a real dangerous presence up front. But then when you're playing a team like Cyprus or San Marino or something, why wouldn't you give a start to somebody like Liam Kelly or whatever? Because the quality of striker they're playing, albeit at international level, is not going to be much more difficult than what they're constantly playing in the SPFL week in, week out, or at a European level, which... Liam Kelly has experience of and even Xander Clark, you know, playing the uh, tiny side Galatasaray in, in recent years in European football. So like you're saying, we've got the, the talent within the squad already without Angus Gunn coming in. It just it irks me so much that Steve Clark doesn't have that aspect of what I think is a crucial part of international management in in his locker. Which is also why I think it would really annoy me if he called David Marshall out of retirement. Yeah. Because yeah. this is the start of a new campaign. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? If you're just going to hark back to your old friends and, and the trusted ones that you know will do the job for you, this guy's hung his boots up, or his gloves up. Yeah. You've got to respect that. And as much as I don't personally agree with retiring from international football, I, what I like even less is when you change your mind and come back into the fold again. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's what you're saying about that path. If you just hark back to what you know, you're still not creating that path and you're just prolonging the problem even longer because David Marshall will get injured or he'll retire again and you're just back in the same loop over and over. Before you know it, you're six months away from the Euros that you've qualified for, thanks to David Marshall, <laughs> but we don't have a goalkeeper. Yeah, um, It's just, you need to just draw that line at one point and throw in an inexperienced goalie. Just bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. 
It's fine. Everyone stay calm. Liam Kelly will be walking out in Germany at year 2024 <laughs> as Scotland's next number one. Regrets, no, it's good laugh on it. So. I didn't find it funny. We're a week into the most depressing month of the year, or Phillies of Andrew and all his fellow journalists. It's one of the busiest months of the year. The transfer window is open. Let's look at what's been happening so far. Graham Shinney, he's back at Aberdeen. Finn, where did this one come from? I, I get that. So I really like to say that the transfer window has slammed open because it always slams <laughs> shut. So I just, I like the image of the door slamming back <laughs> open again. Yeah, Graham Shinney back at Aberdeen. I, I think actually this one on paper makes a lot of sense for all parties. Um, it, he left Aberdeen for Derby County on a free transfer in, I think it was 2019 team he left. Derby have not had their troubles to seek in recent seasons. They've had ongoing financial difficulties and and, and after a year, I think they needed to to move Shinny on. He'd actually been playing pretty well for, for the Rams, but they needed to move him off the wage bill, so he moved to Wigan, but he struggled for game time there. He was actually linked with a return potentially to Derby, but plumped for a, a return to another former club instead. Obviously well known to the club and to the supporters. He was there for four years Spent the last two years there of his contract as captain when Ryan Jack left for Rangers and he's quite a versatile player. He started his career more as a left back but is kind of was used more in central midfield for Aberdeen. But I, I, I think having seen him play and, and Jim Goodwin made, made mention of this after the, the win against St Johnston, it's not just the on the park influence that he has. It's, it, I think it's off the park as well. He's just, you know, he's such a seasoned pro. He's 31 now. He's well liked around the club. And I think it can help to have steady heads coming back in for second spells. Doesn't always work, but you know we've seen in in recent years like Stephen Davis going back to to Rangers, Alan McGregor there as well, Johnny Hayes I think going back to Petodre as well is a good example of of your player going back to to a place where he enjoyed his football once before and it, it's kind of worked out well again. So these things can happen, and on paper it made. It made a lot of sense. The other signing that Aberdeen have made, which is kind of an interesting one, I think, is Patrick Mislovic, who's signed on loan to the end of the season from MSK Zelina in his, his native Slovakia. The Aberdeen have got an exclusive option to buy. How do we look at him on, on Scout? So he's a player I don't know a huge amount about. Uh, don't spend a lot of my time watching the Slovakian top flight, but um, he's he's had a good season so far. 18 games for Zelina. Four goals and three assists. He's 21 years old and an attacking midfielder. He's left-footed, but tends to play centrally. I'm watching, you know, the best of his his stuff on Y Scout. He does love a, a late run into the box and and has a pretty tidy finish on him with his left foot. I'm wondering if he might be used in rotation with with Clarkson through the middle, or potentially an option for Aberdeen more on the left side of midfield or the left side of attack. Duke's been played there once or twice in recent games and I do think Aberdeen lose a bit of that attacking intent when he's not played through the middle as much, especially since Miovsky's been misfiring in recent games. So uh, it's an interesting signing as well, but Shinny as well is left-footed. So it's interesting that two of those left-footed players have come in, just given them kind of further options in, in midfield and and in terms of balance and width, I think they're both two good signings for Aberdeen. We were talking about um, just before that, boys coming back to clubs. One it didn't quite work out for was Louis Moult. Like, so it's a shame. So Louis Moult obviously came back. He's, you know, cult hero at the club. He made his, his comeback. The fans adore him. It was long awaited. But he's had to return to Burton Albion because he's just not been able to shake this ankle injury. It's just not worked out at all for him. And it's a shame because he was the hero last time around. He only managed seven appearances and six of them were from the bench. 
I, I've always been quite cautious of players returning to clubs. Like sometimes they 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 manage it, but if you've made your name there or you've got hero status, it just kind of makes me a bit uncomfortable because you're never really going to live up to that the second time around, are you? It always feels like there's a wee bit more pressure on your shoulders to to exceed these expectations. And everyone's almost like mentally reliving the glory days, wanting that again. And when it doesn't quite happen, it's just a bit, oh, just a little bit limp and sad. And it's just a shame that his second spell at Motherwell's ended in this way. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, um, they've signed Kyle Vassell on a short-term deal. Rangers have been linked with Todd Cantwell and Tom Davies. Norwich and Everton respectively and it looks like another Japanese player could be coming to the SPFL but this time is not to Celtic Hearts are closing in on a deal for striker Yutaro Oda really hope I've pronounced that right <laughs> um, and if he does come in time he could play as early as Friday when they take on St Mirren Hearts are also being linked with 18 year old Garang Kyol Finn you're going to tell me if I've pronounced that one right because he's the young Aussie striker mm-hmm. who has just signed from Newcastle isn't he? he played at the World Cup for Australia didn't he he did he's Australia's youngest ever player at a World Cup he's a real talent I mean he's he's only 18 years old he had a breakthrough season in 21-22 with Central Coast Mariners quite an explosive player very quick he's got a really interesting backstory as well so he, he was actually born in Egypt to South Sudanese parents they'd fled Sudan in the civil war there lived in Egypt for a year and then they moved to Australia as refugees so he he's lived the vast majority of his life in Australia and just it's interesting coming off the back of that whole chat we had with Angus Gunn and that feeling of um, it, where you're, you feel your nationality and your international allegiance lies. Garankul has stated like how proud he feels to be Australian and how Australia gave his family a home and a safe haven and, and a place for him and his brothers to grow up. So, yeah, he's he's very exciting. He only made his um, under twenty debut for Australia in late twenty twenty two as well. And off the back of his three appearances there, he was called up to the senior squad for the World Cup. So, yeah, he's really. Exciting player Signed for Newcastle Hasn't played a game yet And and to be honest Don't know if he will see Much game time there Over the the, the coming weeks And and months But he'd be an amazing Coup To get A a real Really good acquisition For Hearts And something that gives him A bit different as well Potentially Up front You were just talking about Yutaro Oda there the, The Japanese striker They've been linked with I think It might seem a bit strange To be looking at strikers When You know Lawrence Shankland's been having The season of his life Up front for Hearts But uh, it's important to have different options and especially as the season goes on and injuries can start to creep in and it, it's been such a colossal part of Hart's success this season and consistency have been Shanklin's goals in the same way that we've been talking about the problem with the Scotland goalkeeper and not having uh, options readily available I think it could be a really interesting thing to have Kuol or Oda or or both potentially coming into the squad just to give them those striking options Across the city, the Hibs, Ryan Porteous. Now, this is an interesting one. So we all know he turned down a contract uh, to stay with Hibs past the end of this season. There's links right now with him going to Udinese. But the question is, do Hibs hold on to him to the end of the season? Because I suppose the argument is, if he goes now, they'll maybe get what, 
a couple hundred thousand for him maybe, half a million if they're pushing it. As opposed to if he goes in summer, they'll get nothing for him. On the flip side of that, if he stays, he could help them get a place in Europe. So how 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 would they play this one? Andrew, what, what do you think here? When when do you think he should be heading out the door? Well, it's a, you know, it's a strange one because I mentioned Lee Johnson earlier in the show. And I mean, for, for me at the moment, Lee Johnson seems like a man that's determined to get sacked. Going out <laughs> um, up George Street the night before the Edinburgh Derby and then Hibs going to lose that game 3-0. He made comments the other day about bad historic decisions by the club uh, and, he, and he was referring to Porteous and the fact that, you know, he was saying two and a half years ago I'd have stuck a new contract in front of him. I don't know why that hasn't happened. It's quite a bold thing he'd be saying, coming out and criticising the people that are running the club. On this occasion, I think Lee Johnson's absolutely correct, you know, and you don't know what's happened. You don't know if a conversation has been had back then uh, and... Uh, you know, Portis has said, no, nah, I'm not interested in doing that at the moment. I've still got a couple of years to run. I'm quite happy with how things are. But whatever has happened for Hibs to be in the position that they're in now, where probably their best player is in a position where he could leave for very little money, it's not great. I hope whatever happens for, for Ryan Portis, he makes a choice that allows him to, to go on and, and really fulfil his potential. I suppose one key part, Finn, if he does go, the, the key to this could be making sure he's got a sell-on fee because you look at Aaron Hickey for example he went to Bologna and then to Brentford and that's where Hearts are making their money it's the knock-on effect Josh Dwight, Lewis Ferguson other examples I don't know for definite what's in their contracts but I'd imagine they've got sell-on fees as well that'll benefit their respective Scottish clubs this could be the part of the contract that really does actually make Hibs the most money in the long run isn't it? I mean it could be uh, I've got no idea of the inner workings of, of those types of contracts or with Doig or with Ferguson and don't know what, what's been built into those but it has to be the way that Scottish clubs do business because we can't command as a league the type of fees you know the, the silly money that will fly around say for example an English championship player could go to the Premier League for 20 plus million that's not uncommon we can't command those fees but what we can be is a league that produces really good players that go, then go on to a slightly bigger level after that and then go on to the, the truly elite level after that. The club should be rewarded for that. I don't know if Hibs necessarily are in the best position to bargain with that, given that he's only got six months left. Because all, all the power really is with Porteous and with whomever the club is that he's negotiating with. So Hibs aren't in, in, in a particularly strong place to start with. You never know though, because it could be something that Porteous insists on in trying to be a way to, to look after the club that you know he's grown up at and he's got such affection for and is a total hero at. I kind of feel, I mean, I've mentioned this beforehand, I think Ryan Portis has got such potential and now he's started to really break into the, the Scotland squad properly. I feel with the greatest of respect to, to Hibs as a team and to the SPFL, the Premiership as, as a league, I, I feel his ability is getting to the point where it's, it's outgrowing the league. I think for him to realise the potential that he's got, which I think is huge, he needs to move to a bigger league, to uh, a bigger stage and test himself. And I think it don't come much bigger than Sierra A. It's one of the big five. I think even a move to the championship could be a great springboard as well. We've seen players like Andy Robertson and John McGinn as well do do that to tremendous success in recent seasons. So even if it's maybe not as celebrity as moving to Watford as it is to Udine, it might be as good a move in terms of his development. I think the time very much has come for him to to move on. The only other thing I was going to add was I, th I think it was quite generous when you were saying 
should Portia stay to help Hibs qualify for Europe? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do think that they're much closer to a, a fight at the wrong end of the table than they are at the top. <laughs> Having said that, though, it could be interesting because by far and away, I think, you know, without Martin Boyle, Portius has been their most important player this season and, you know, making the move to midfield and he's talismanic in a way that there aren't many other players like that at Hibs. Having said that, like with the form that Kevin Nisbet's been in since he's come back from his injury, five goals in five games, including a hat-trick against Motherwell at the weekend, if he can maintain that to to the end of the season or, or anything close to that, that's the kind of talismanic form that would that would mean maybe losing Portis in January isn't isn't quite as big a disaster as it might have been a month ago. Just before we finish up, it's League Cup semi-final weekend. So I want some quick predictions from you. And I mean quick. Celtic against Kilmarnock, Saturday, half five. Who's going through? 3-0 Celtic. I don't know. I, I think it'll be much tighter than that. I think it'll be 5-1 to Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Aberdeen Rangers game could go either way. I think it genuinely could. I think given the form of both sides recently, I think Rangers obviously have to go in as favourites. But cup game, you never know what will happen. I don't get that same romantic feeling thinking about Celtic playing Kilmarnock in, in the semi-finals. I think that'll be a fairly straightforward victory. I would expect to see both sides of the old firm getting through to the final, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, I would definitely go with that as well. I think Rangers, five wins, uh, six games since uh, Michael Beale came in. There's, there's a kind of, I saw somebody pointing out earlier on a kind of strange quirk that I think in four of the six games Rangers have played They've scored a goal and then scored another one quite quickly in the second half. They did it obviously at Dundee United. Uh, they did it against Celtic last week as well. So I'm not entirely sure what that says. I don't know if it's that they're a confidence team and when they score, their heads are really up. I don't know if it's a fitness thing because it's happening in the second half. But uh, I mean, obviously they did it against Aberdeen as well up at Pataudry in the most sickening fashion ever, according to Jim Goodwin. So, you know, has his team recovered from that? Results and form lately would suggest that Aberdeen have still got quite a bit of work to do. So, uh, while I'm saying 3-0 Celtic, I think it could be a similar scoreline for Rangers, to be honest. Aberdeen are clearly looking for something to pick them up. A couple of signings that we've discussed, so, you know, maybe that will give them a bit of a lift. But I think Rangers, it's not always been pretty, but they are, for the first time in a little while, starting to at least build a bit of momentum. So, yeah, I'm with you, Finn. I think it's an old firm final to look forward to later in the season. Right, that wasn't quick. My cat's <laughs> shouting at me to get fed right now. <laughs> and I don't think she understands what two minutes means. Right, that's all from us this week, guys. I've got a hungry cat to feed. Thank you, as ever, to Finn and Andrew for joining me on the show, and of course, all of you for listening. We'll be back next week, so until then, get yourself out to a local game, go and enjoy the semi-finals, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>